And when it comes out, you can't see it, so it wasn't matter. Yeah. I remember there was one summer you grew, I know. I remember there was a summer you did grow a beard. Well, we will get underway. Um, I've been given strict instruction, men, for us to be done by 3.30 or even just a tad earlier. But um, I said, we're going to go up on stage with a number of pastors and that's going to be tricky to do. Uh, but we will, we will do our best. Right, Andre? Amen. Amen. Welcome to panel discussion. A few years ago, we came up with the idea of having a panel discussion as one of our seminars, and you've probably attended that before. And they were so well uh, received and well attended that just in light of the changes that we, we made, because this conference was particularly last minute, um, obviously no evening session and no night sessions and the like, we, we had a block there and we said, well, why don't we just do a panel discussion during this time? So... Um, yeah, here we are. So thanks for coming along and hope, hope that you're able to have some lunch and loved hearing that there were some people out there that had morning tea and then they knew there was another afternoon tea coming and so that had them covered and that's, that's a good thing. We like that. Um, so may, may that continue. But we are here to have a panel discussion. Obviously tomorrow there'll be a, a time of Q&A and so as Phil said, please do submit those questions. Um, Phil said that, you know, I think he said, you know, around the theme of the message, but yes, but also, as Phil said, anything, you can ask anything and place it in the, in the is the box out there, Phil? Oh, it's out there. Okay, it's in the conservatory there, to your left. Place that in there and, and we'll get to as many of those as we can. That's always a special time. That's a time where questions are asked. This time here at a panel discussion is we kind of facilitate a discussion amongst ourselves and and hopefully it, hopefully it blesses you. The topic of this discussion that we'll have for the next 40 or 50 minutes um, is the gospel is our only hope. And that's a great statement. It's true. It's a true fact, as the young folk like to say. Um, you know, you think about that. It is, it is our hope. Uh, as when we were lost, but it's also our hope when we're believers as well. And so we'll kind of go down that path, but there's one thing, if you haven't been to one of these panel discussions before, we don't plan anything other than that opening theme and then it just goes where the Lord wants it to. Holy Spirit just leads us, eh? Yep, yep. And so we're going to kind of kick things off. And I'm going to hand it over to Daryl. And I just want to introduce Daryl. Daryl Burling, uh, just a very gifted young man. And Andre's going to say something about Daryl. It's Nick's twin. <laughs> twin brother. Sorry. <laughs> it's called Biblical Academy. Mastery. Daryl is the owner uh, and director of uh, Biblical Mastery Academy, and uh, Daryl and I are in seminary together actually um, in Los Angeles, and so just a faithful guy and does a great work. Um, Andre, uh, Andrew Young is on the, on the far left here, he's uh, one of the elders here at Riverbend and the assistant pastor of the church, he's the great brother, uh, it's a privilege to do ministry with him. The, the other guys, I'm sure you know, Phil's introduced, introduced us. Um, Daryl, as we think about the gospel being our only hope, obviously sin factors in there somewhere. You want to kick us off with, with that? Sure. The key thing, I think, is to realize that the gospel is the only hope, but only if we correctly define the problem. Because the tendency we have today, and I don't know about you, but as Christians, I think we have pretty strong ideals. And one of the relics of those ideals that lives in our minds is how the world should be and then we obviously see the world and there's this great contrast between how the world should be and how the world really is and the problem for us is that there are so many problems there are so many things broken 
you know, anything from anti-Semitism to uh, critical race theory to LGBTQ issues to, you know, you name it. There's just so many issues. And the challenge that we have as Christians is that each of these can become a rabbit trail, a distraction, if you like, from the real issue. So we need to really identify the correct problem, and then we can identify that, indeed, the gospel is the only hope that we have. So think of it this way. If you could wave your magic wand and solve all the world's problems, you're not going to go after critical race theory. You're not going to go after anti-Semitism. You're not going to go after war. You're going to go after the thing that causes all of that, right? And that's our sin. And that's why the gospel is our only hope. But the, the, thing, the other thing to bear in mind, and, and this is what Matt was getting at before, is that as the church, we don't go out and snap our fingers collectively as the church and fix the world. Christ did not come to change all the world in one big master stroke, at least not thus far. So what we're doing as the church, we have the message of the gospel, which we bear with us to share with others, to trans so that others can also hear and understand and come to the realization of their own sin before a holy God, and therefore can have their sins uh, you know, forgiven as well. Now, that's only the beginning, because the gospel doesn't, you know, as soon as we become a Christian, it's not like we're suddenly saved and then everything is rosy again. I don't know, how many of you are married, right? You'll know from that fact that, you know, you'll know that one of the benefits of marriage is that it has a, does a great job of helping you realize your sin. And I think by God's design, marriage reveals our hearts to another. That's the intention of marriage. And, and as we do that, we start to see the other person in more detail. And because we're sinners now, of course, you see our sin more evidently because of the contrast and rather the conflicts that we have with one another. So we don't just become Christians and then suddenly everything's rosy. The reality is that the gospel, you know, receiving the gospel, receiving forgiveness is the beginning point from which we start to actually deal with our sin, even as Christians. And so that's really just the starting point. The gospel for salvation is the beginning point of a life of transformation. Uh, so it starts there, it doesn't end there, but the only solution for all of that, for all of life, is the gospel. Amen. Anything you guys want to add to that? Well, yeah, just as you're speaking there, Daryl, I think you can just list so many more sins in the fact that our world's broken and just thinking broken relationships, broken marriages, and, and our world is just, you know, devastated by addictions, drugs, alcohol, um, and, and it's just an incredible problem. And so I think when you do boil it down and, and identify the problem, as you said, it, it is quite an encouragement just to hear that, which sounds funny to think of sin so prominently, but the gospel really is the, the antidote for the problem that we suffer, depression, eating disorders. Um, we need to be pointing people back to the gospel and how it truly helps us. And, and there are there are just so many. We, we all live in a world where we have family members that are deeply uh, distressed and affected by sin. Um, we all know people that have we've seen at the bottom of the bottom, and, and the gospel is really a, a great hope and a shining light. And, and just thinking through that, identifying that problem as well, thinking from God's point of view, you know, he describes the world from a, a God's eye view and, and he describes mankind and, and the world and sinners in darkness and in bondage. And the, the gospel is described as, a, and Christ is described as a great light to the world. And, and we're, we're set free from the bondage that sin has on us. So I just, yeah, I love that identifying the problem is, is really helpful to see the value of the gospel. Um, and maybe just to add to that, it's kind of sad, and I've said this to our church a few times, is that oftentimes the doctrine of sin is not preached enough in the church. And it, it seems like um, it's, a, it's a doctrine that's been pushed to the side, and so it hasn't been explained and talked about as it ought to be in the church. And, you know, the gospel is the gospel of love, but it's no sin attached to it. So that becomes a, a challenge as well. So we need to define the problem. And unfortunately, I think in... In some churches, they're not defining the problem. Yeah, I, I think it's really easy to find other issues, right? And I think even looking at 
like we've just been through this whole political upheaval, the tendency is then to make that one problem, the one that's right before us right now, the problem that we deal with. And for some people, we can actually, you know, and, and maybe you've seen this, I've done this in my own life, where I've found one problem that I've seen, and then I've made it my personal crusade to solve that one problem. And there's, there's nothing wrong with trying to solve problems, and there's nothing wrong with even addressing sin and issues, and, and you know, I'm not against political activism or anything like that, but at the same time, we have something that the world doesn't have. The world will have people who will do political activism, but the world doesn't have people who can preach the gospel. Uh, churches, you know, there will always be pastors who will be distracted in the pulpit by political issues or, you know, economics or whatever it happens to be. But like you say, Phil, if we don't have the gospel front and center, then people aren't hearing those key messages that they need to hear, and we're not actually performing the mission that we have as the church. Uh, from the pulpit and then into the lives of people. And so we need to be really careful, I think. And I, I say this sitting amongst pastors, uh, not being a pastor myself, uh, but we need to be really careful to actually make sure we keep the, the main message the main message rather than allowing ourselves to be distracted and then even trying to apply the gospel uh, to some of these subordinate issues without actually addressing the heart that actually causes the corruption that brings about those bigger issues. It's mm. good. Good. Paul, <clears throat> Paul in uh, Romans chapter 1, verse 16, or verse 15 rather, he says, I am eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. And the you also are believers. And so it's amazing. We, we sometimes have this infantile understanding of the gospel, but the gospel contains such richness and beauty for all of life, both for conversion and for sanctification. Um, there are applications of the gospel that, um, that play out in our, in our life and, and drive us to, to, to live a certain way. So talk a little bit about um, the idea here that the gospel is more than repentant belief. Can I take up something here? <clears throat> so uh, just feeding on from verse 15 to verse 16 where Paul says... For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation. So we probably all heard, you've been saved, you're being saved, you will be saved. That salvation is that umbrella term which covers justification, the guilt of sin problem. It covers sanctification, you know, the progressive work problem. It covers glorification, the final presence of sin problem. It covers uh, doing away with Satan and uh, all sinners. The judgment problem. And so that, that one word salvation really does hit every single thing. So when we say good news, we're not merely talking about going to heaven when you die. We're not merely talking about, you know, praying the sinner's prayer, getting your forgiveness card, and then going living uh, any way you want. But it's, it's, it's that whole work of God addressing sin from beginning to end, including the guilt of our sins. I think the important part of that is that that verse says, and in it, in other words, in the message, in the gospel message, the righteousness of God is revealed. And we know how the righteousness of God is revealed in a person, the second person of the Trinity. So when we speak about the gospel and the way the gospel affects our lives and change the world around us, it is the person of Christ who changes it and who changes us. So uh, the theme of the conference is so apt, therefore, in Christ, in Christ alone. In Christ, we're justified. In Christ, we're being sanctified. In Christ, we'll be glorified. In Christ, the problems of the world will eventually disappear because he will be the judge. So I think very often what we do is we, we, uh, we separate, unintentionally so, but we do. We separate the gospel from the person, the message from the person. And yet the message is that there is salvation in Christ Jesus. And um, I was thinking a lot about, you know, what, uh, what Daryl just said about some of the challenges that we face in life and, um, you know, we want to fix the world. We don't do very well in, in our efforts, do we? And, and then we have our own personal problems and we cannot even fix those. And yet it is, it is in the counseling that we give ourselves and other people, like how Matt spoke to Bill and Bob, um, it is, it is the application of the person of Christ that is the hope within the gospel. It is seeing Christ 
when your life is falling apart around you. It is seeing Christ when, when, um, when you feel there's no hope and you feel you are in darkness. It is seeing Christ, that hope, that person that draws us. And, and that's how we live our lives. It is you, you, you're constantly facing the next issue, the next issue, the next issue. And we almost feel deflated and defeated because of so many things coming our way. And I think philosophically or ideologically, our world is just opening Pandora's boxes every single day. And the next thing is coming. And it's only when we sit down and think, no, in the good news message, the righteousness of God has been revealed in a person, Jesus Christ. And that person, Jesus Christ, loves us so much that he would justify us, sanctify us, glorify us, and we will be forever and ever in his presence. And that, for me, sums up. I'm sorry, I did now a summary, a summing up of everything that we want to say. But, but that, for me, is it. It's just having Christ in my life. He's my hope, the person. We brought you in at this conference. To look beautiful. And to, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> to, to, to summarize the whole conference in glorification and on Monday afternoon. Um, you know, there, I read this quote recently. It says, people aren't my problem. Situations are not my problem. Circumstances are not my problem. Locations, as in where you live, is not my problem. My problem is in my heart. And uh, that's a really great quote. Um, you know, the gospel is the only hope for our heart. Uh, both when we are unregenerate and then also when we are regenerate, when we're born from above, we still, there's still that worship in our heart of what we're treasuring. We're given to treasuring things that were never designed by God to grant us joy. Um, and so talk a little bit about, you know, I can hear our preaching professor, Daryl Steve Lawson, what does he say? The problem, what does it feel? The problem of the human heart is, finish it for me, I'm hanging here. Sin. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the problem is sin. Let's pray. Um, but talk, talk a little bit about this, how, how, how for, our, for our own hearts as, as believers, you know, we, we, you think of the last two and a half years, particularly the last 12 months, you know, we, we have had things that the gospel have spoken into. We, we, we do identify that, that, um, that, Sin is the root cause of everything, and, and, and yet we, we also navigate certain waters, you know. Um, but I think one thing that things can be misunderstood, the guys all know what I mean, but there is a, there's a given theological tendency uh, to engage in cultural wars, where everything is uh, something that you need to be uh, attacking and addressing. And, and you want to be really careful with how you do that. And I think sometimes if you go ahead and do that, maybe the impression can be that you're drifting from the gospel. But you've got to remain focused on, on the problem. The main thing of the problem is the problem of the human heart or something like that. That's the quote. Talk, talk to that a little bit in the sense of, you know, you kind of did. But, but talk to that in, in the life of a believer. Like the gospel is the answer to... Uh, our, our drifting off and seeking satisfaction from things, that's, things that don't satisfy. You know, talk about that. Sure. Yeah, the, um, the temptation we all have <clears throat> is to think that all our problems are outside of us. Circumstances change, things happen, and we look at the external and we say, well, that's a problem. But the problem, you know, if we think about God's perspective, right, and if we believe that God is sovereign and we believe that God is providentially bringing things about for his own purposes and goals. All we're saying, really, is that circumstances that God is managing and, and orchestrating for his own goals and his own purposes are actually getting in the way of me, right, in the way of what I want to do. And so the reality is that it's not our circumstances that are the problem. It's what's going on in here. It's our response to those. It's the way we interpret that. It's the, the way we feel about it, which comes from those interpretations. Then it's what we do with that as well. All of that takes place in the heart. And so the problem is not outside of us. In fact, the problem is never outside of us. Your problem with your marriage is not your spouse. All right? The problem with your job is not your boss. The problem is in here. 
how we deal with that. And a good example of this, and we find examples of this all over the place, but one that I often sort of think back to is people who suffer in countries where they're persecuted. They go to prison, they're tormented, they have a really rough time. But then in the midst of all of that, they're able to find joy in Christ. Right, despite their external circumstances. And what that tells us, well, there's a couple of things that it tells us, really. One is that God comforts those who are afflicted. But another thing that that tells us is that our heart can be independent of our circumstances, right? That we can live in joy with Christ regardless of what's going on on the outside. It is at least possible, right? And the scriptures teach us that the gospel, the, one of the key things that God does in the gospel, in fact, in uh, Jeremiah 31, 31, uh, Ezekiel 36, 26, you've got this promise of the new covenant. I will put my spirit in them and I will give them a new heart and I will cause them to walk in my statutes, right? So the whole point of the new covenant and the indwelling Holy Spirit is to transform our hearts so that we, we actually are changed on the inside so that we are suppliant, uh, compliant and responsive to Christ despite our circumstances. And I'll let one of the pastors elaborate on that. Amen. Well said, brother. Um, but maybe just to add to that, um, I'm thinking of a Thomas Chalmers, the expulsive power of a new affection. So Thomas Chalmers one day was traveling through uh, a mountain pass. It was foggy. He was in a horse-drawn wagon, but it was the horses were very scared. They couldn't see what was ahead of them. And what he noticed was the guy on the back of the wagon was basically cracking the whip, but not on the side where the cliff was, but on the side where the, uh, the, the mountain face, I guess, was. And he was trying to draw the attention of the horses away from the, the drop-off to the crack of the whip. And, and he said, you know, that's just like the Christian life. That when we see the beauty of Christ, we may have sin on this side, we may have suffering on this side, we may have all the problems that we've spoken about on this side. But when our attention is drawn to Christ, it's the expulsive power of the new love and affection that we have for Christ, which makes me love Christ more than sin, which makes me treasure Christ more than I treasure that experience, that makes me delight in the security of my salvation more than me uh, worrying and fearing over my present security. And it's the expulsive power of the new affection. Mm. So when you see Christ, like this morning we spoke about, uh, the grace of God to us in dealing with our guilt problem and the grace of God to us in uniting us with Christ as he will be the, the battery of our, of, of our holiness. When we see the riches of those treasures, our hearts are suddenly opened up and drawn out towards God and away from these other things. Mm. And I think, you know, preaching the gospel to ourselves every single day, it allows our hearts to fill up and go in the right direction. And that's, that's part of what helps us against whatever is on this side. Mm. You know, people, I love that. The Presbyterian pastors that are out there, they're going to say yes and amen to this. I don't know which um, confession it's in, but it talks about uh, King Jesus Christ, how he subdues our sinful desires, um, alters our affections. And uh, you think that the, the, thing, the, the struggles that we have in life the, the goal is that Christ has altered our affections. Our sins have been forgiven, altered our affections. Life is hard. And talk a little bit about how we can appropriate more. You know, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Anyone who eats of me will never hunger. Um, you know, he, he, he went to the woman by the well and, and, and said, you know, just one sip is enough. You'll never thirst. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me. Jesus is clearly telling us that there is a, there is a, there is a fountain of satisfaction in me and you're so prone to going to the wrong place. Talk, talk a little bit about how the gospel can drive us uh, to be able to navigate the hardships of life. You're looking at me. I'm always looking at you. <laughs> um. Well, my congregation members who are here, um, I've recently preached through, I'm still actually in John chapter 15, and uh, it is the picture that Jesus gives his disciples of him being the vine and we're the branches, 
and if we stay or abide in the vine, we will bear fruit. And just the whole picture there of abiding is not a momentary thing. It is, it is an ongoing journey with Christ. I think that, that is the secret of a, of a fruitful life, is to continuously, every single day, be in Christ and, and gaining that which is in Christ, that very life of the Lord Jesus, to be our life. For the life I now live, I live in Christ. And I think the gospel so saturates the life of a believer that you wake up in the morning, you think of your Savior. You sin and you think again of your Savior because you can go to him. You have a victory over sin and you think of your Savior who gave you that victory. You go through darkness and you see the light of the gospel. So, so it is that abiding that helps us to, to face the problems that we that we will inevitably face. We, we live in a world marred by sin. We ourselves are so sinful we can't help ourselves, which is exactly what John 15 says. You can do nothing without me. We cannot pop out little righteous fruits in ourselves. It's just impossible. So is that abiding in Christ? And, and I like the words that you used, Matt, earlier. It's, it is a very Puritan word, that, um, that affection that we have. We just, we just love our Savior, and it's that love that drives us to live a holy and a godly life. Otherwise, we do end up um, at that place where, where the gospel actually becomes a new law. We cannot actually say, I need to obey the gospel. It's impossible to obey the gospel. It is, I live in the gospel. I find my joy in the gospel. I find my hope in the gospel. I cannot obey the gospel. The gospel is someone else already obeyed on my behalf. So I think that's... Um, and then, you, and then you get, from there, you get the disciplines of our faith. So, so don't hear, I don't obey the gospel and there's nothing that I should do. It is. Well, as simple as that Sunday school song, read your Bible, pray every day. How can, you, how can you love and have an affection for your Savior, but you don't want to talk to him? How can you have a love and affection for your Savior and don't want to hear what he says? So I think those simple things in the gospel is, is what keeps us going and that which helps us to deal with all the problems that we face. You think we're prone to understanding these things and then not putting them, not appropriating them? You think that's a reality for, for, for many believers, that we, we, we know the mechanics and then we just, we, we don't apprehend them, we don't lay hold of them? Uh, how, how, would we, how would we overcome? Because I, th I think that's a reality. We... And, 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 you know, living satisfied in Christ is not like a, a one-time deal. It's a constant, constant battle, if you will. So how do we appropriate? Yeah, I mean, just, it's hard to put your finger on some things in the Christian faith and explain them clearly. And when I hear you speaking of everyone, really, the, the expulsive power of a new affection, my heart's like, man, I, I hope every single person knows, feels, and understands what what that means and and when Andre's saying we need to look to Christ and he's the, the joy of our life and 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 it's hard to explain and I think I've tried to um, communicate it to because you want people to feel the Christian religion and know that to be true of what is it like I have my heart being like a magnet with a sinful nature still even a problem as Christians is it loves sin it's like drawn to everything that's sinful and we're trying to live a life that's pleasing to God, and it's it's like our, our, this magnet keeps sticking to sin. And I, I'm laughing because I can see my mum down there. But I remember when I was a, a teenager, and um, my dad would ask me to. We lived close to the supermarket, and he'd ask me to go down to the shops and get some butter. He'd be making dinner, and last minute he'd be like, "Andrew, jump on your bike and go and get some butter." And I'd be like, "Oh." I don't, I don't have any affection to go and get the butter. He's putting me out of my busy teenage life, you know, like go and get some, get some butter. But I'd drag myself off there, do it at the last minute I possibly could, come back, and I'd be like, Dad, here's your butter. And then there was a change that happened, like, and you could think of it as your heart changes, and, and there was this pretty girl that started work, working down at the supermarket... <laughs> And, and this, this young lady would become my wife, but I, I, learned, I learned that she would she'd be working at a certain time, and so Dad would say, can you go and get some milk? And I'd be like, Dad, I'm there in a flash. 
jump on my bike and something that you once didn't like you easily can do you get a different you know but but something in our heart changes when we see the glory of Christ what he's done for us in the cross and so the the needle and the magnet in our heart kind of changes when we prefer Christ to the sin and so that that's what happens when we behold uh, Christ in the gospel, who he is, what he's done. We, the, the needle changes that we would rather do that than, than enjoy the, I guess, the deceitfulness of sin. And yeah, so I just, yeah, it's just something we have to taste and experience that the gospel changes our life. I think it was Paul who said, right, for the love of Christ compels me, yeah. controls me, motivates me. And you can ask these Greek guys whether that's an objective genitive or a subjective genitive there. Um, but, uh, what is it? you know, Christ's love for us, coming from him to us, is incredible. And, and in return, our love will be reciprocated to him as we understand his love more, which is, which is what we do when we preach the gospel to ourselves every day, which I think Jerry Bridges said that a lot in some of his books. But um, I've, I've found quite helpful a little book that maybe some of you are familiar with. It's called A Gospel Primer. Uh, this little book here, and, and really it's just taking gospel truths and reminding us of those wonderful truths, and they motivate us to live a godly life. And uh, Milton Vincent, who wrote this, uh, we just read a little section in it the other night at our place where he's talking about sin. And sometimes we think about sin as just gloomy and horrible and yucky, but it's actually, remember the Apostle Paul said something about sin and something along the lines of wretched man that I am, was that the Apostle Paul? Yeah, why is he talking about that? Because he's reflecting on sin in his life. And even in Romans 7, um, if he's talking about himself as a believer there, the very things I know I should do, I'm not doing. And he's thinking about sin in his life. And what in the world is this godly man thinking about sin in his life for? Because as he thinks about the sin in his life, it actually redirects his focus to the, to the love of Christ and the gospel and the good news. And uh, just to maybe quote a, a little saying out of this Gospel Primer book, um, Milton Vincent is talking about these verses in Romans 7 and 1 Timothy 1.15. And he says this, Such an awareness of my sinfulness does not drag me down but actually serves to lift me up by magnifying my appreciation of God's forgiving grace in my life. And the more I appreciate the magnitude of God's forgiveness of my sins, the more I love him and delight to show him love through heartfelt expressions of worship. So when we think of sin, that's, it should drive us to the cross, really, and remind us of the, the wonderful love that we've experienced. So... That's one way to appropriate, I guess, if you want an answer to that. Yeah. Pick up a book that can help you wrestle through those incredible verses and truths and, and give you practical ways to think through them biblically and apply them to our lives. Yeah. Just, just another aspect to that as well, and, and, and we'll, well, you're talking about the sanctification part as well, is yes, there is an appropriation of the gospel, but we should never forget that there is the application of the gospel that comes by the Holy Spirit. And, and it, ex it is, again, it's, it's, it's receiving. Mm -hmm. It's just receiving that which God prepared for us in his son, Jesus Christ. Yeah. So, so those who are truly justified will be sanctified and they will be glorified because it's that work that God, in and through his son, by his Holy Spirit, comes and applies to us. Mm. Just wanted to add, um, go to church. Amen. Um, you know, read your Bible every day, pray every day, read good Christian books, preach the gospel to yourself every day. But uh, one of the things that God has appointed, and I'm sure I'm preaching your sermon for you, Matt, sorry. Go to church and do this in remembrance of me. Yeah. You know, we have the Lord's Supper, which is a reminder through physical elements of the body and the blood of Christ given for us to stir the heart, to bring about those new affections, to move the needle mm. so that we will be moved. Absolutely. When we think of the gospel, we, we see that it has such a profound effect upon the soul of the person when they receive it. Um, we see that it, it, um, it gives us so much in order to continue to live our life with Christ as our treasure. Uh, it enables us to be able to identify um, when we are given to worshipping, treasuring, finding satisfaction in things that aren't made to satisfy. 
talk a little bit now about how we have been given this, you know, in earthen vessels we have a wonderful treasure. You know, we have this treasure, as Paul said, in earthen vessels. And think, think now about how we take the gospel uh, out into the highways and the byways. This is obviously a really important part of talking about the gospel. Um, you know, we, we spend our time sharing our hope that we've, that we've received. Um, talk now a little bit about the, the, the evangelization, the proclamation, the local and global. Yeah. Can I? You may. So um, one of the things I think is really important for this, which I think is overlooked a lot today, is the preparation of the, of the, of the believer themselves, Right. We, we tend to make evangelism about telling people about their sin, well, at least we should, I guess, in some sense, uh, so that uh, they can receive the good news of the Savior, right? And if you don't get somebody lost first, you're never going to get them found, right? You're never going to get them to see Christ as a Savior if they don't fully understand properly first that, you know, they have a solution that only Christ can solve. But before we even get there, I think... The only way that we can actually internalize this, and maybe I'm just speaking from my experience, you guys are all more spiritual and different maybe, but you know, from my experience, if I am not fully appropriating the gospel for myself, like really, when, like, I don't know about you guys, you guys, like I said, you're probably more spiritual, but I feel times where I just don't feel very spiritual. I don't feel very godly. And it's in those times that I, I think the task for us as Christians is to own our sin, and then bring that to the cross so that we can see the finished work of Christ relative to our own sin, so that we don't go out into the byways thinking we've got some righteous solution that everybody else needs but we don't need, but we go out to the byways having first realized that we are as needy as the next person, and with good news that we ourselves have experienced that we can then share with other people. So then it's not a looking down on others kind of thing. Now it's a have you heard kind of thing. And if people, in my experience, most people don't take a lot of work to realize that they're sinners, right? The problem is not so much, it's not that it's hard to get people lost. It's hard to pe get people lost in such a way that they realize that you're telling them about a solution, right? And you're telling them about Christ. And so... I think one of the key things to start with is their own preparation, that we don't go out thinking, I'm better than all of you guys because I have Christ and I have the gospel and I'm saved and I don't drink and I don't smoke and I don't dance and I don't play cards. I'm probably going too far there. But, you know, <laughs> um, so I don't go too far in those things. And I don't take my righteousness and present that as if you need what I have because I'm righteous. You know, we want to go and tell people, you need what I have because I'm unrighteous. I need the gospel. I need Christ. Let me tell you about him. Can we play a game? Not yes, cards. thank you. Right. So I'm going to expand our panel a little bit and include everyone here. Right. So, so the game is true and false. You can scream out all together, and if someone next to you gives the wrong answer, take them out, sort them out, bring them back. <laughs> right. God appointed CNN to proclaim the gospel. True or false? false. Who said true? <laughs> no one. <laughs> God appointed TV3 to proclaim the gospel. True or false? God appointed the government to proclaim the gospel. True or false? I hope no one said yes. True. God appointed the church to proclaim the gospel. True. God only appointed the church to proclaim the gospel. Amen. So in other words, for us to live our lives thinking that there's another organization with more money, with better resources, and they will do the job, is just not true. The ministry of reconciliation, according to 2 Corinthians 5, the ministry of reconciliation has been given to us. We are therefore the ambassadors of Christ, the only appointed ambassadors of Christ, to bring this glorious news into a world so desperately lost without hope. That is why it is one of the, one of the, well, this is the mission of the church. 
and it is the mission that the church should occupy itself always. I, I actually spoke at a conference in Germany while we were there, and, and um, I forgot who the man was, but he's from, from Mark Davis Church, uh, Michael something. He had a, a little bit of a German surname. Anyway, he spoke on the nine marks, and well, lo and behold, me, rookie, came up and I said, nine marks got it wrong. One of the marks of the church should be the proclamation of the gospel, you know, missions as well. And he just looked at me. But it is, I, I stand by that, because a church is the own, the church, the body of Christ, are those who have received the person of Christ, who knows Christ, who loves Christ, and by nature of us being in Christ, just it just bubbles over. It just you have to speak about it. Help the people now where it doesn't bubble up. Because, you know, there's some people that are just more given, more extroverted or whatever. But, you know, thinking of, you know, I always say about evangelism, evangelism is, is both an event and a lifestyle. It's not just one, you know. It, it, it's, it's, it's both of those. And believers don't necessarily have to be engaged in an event sort of style evangelism. But talk to, talk to the saints that really look, you know, from day to day, even week to week, month to month, and they're like, you know what, I'm not sure the last time I shared my faith. Now, the motivation is obviously very crucial, you know. Mm. Preaching sermons on evangelism is, 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 is really vital because far before the imperative comes along, the indicative about who we are in Christ, that's the motivation. You mentioned it before about the joy. So help, help the saints here who may be like, you know what, I'm not really, I just, I just, if they're honest with themselves, I just don't have that flowing out of me. Talk, talk to that. And let me just quickly say something about that, because cause you're so right, Matt, is that we have this idea that if you are evangelizing, you are little Billy Graham, and if you're not a Billy Graham, you're not evangelizing, or I need to be the man in the street, on the street corner, then I'm evangelizing. And I have this definition which I made up myself just to, just to help myself, really. And I, I think evangelism, in a sense, and there's far more to it, but I think it's just useful to say to yourself, did I leave a better impression of the Lord Jesus Christ in the conversation I just had with that person? Because that's sometimes all I can do. Just say something about your love for Christ. Something about what Christ Jesus did for you. And you don't have to be an extrovert to be able to do that. Just the smallest little thing can sometimes, and are sometimes used by the Lord to spark a flame. Just Maybe leave a better impression of Christ. Just to add to that, one sows, one reaps, one waters. And uh, I remember being given the illustration. So imagine someone, you know, conversion is zero. And someone who's the furthest away from the Lord is minus 10. And maybe someone who's had a little bit of Christian culture be at around minus eight until you get to zero. So zero is conversion. Um, and the guy made the point that maybe in one conversation, you might move someone from minus six to minus four in their understanding of Christ. So maybe you were sowing the seed on what the true nature of sin is. Or, um, you know, Jesus Christ and the fact that he was an historical figure and he was given because God loves the world. Or, you know, and so you're, you're adding to the understanding of someone who may not have gone to Sunday school. And so in that way, we do, I think, you know, am I leaving a better impression of Christ? Um, we can't underestimate those moments. Mm, yeah. That's good. Yeah, I recently read a sermon that Spurgeon had taught, and he spoke of a, like a dear older person in his church that had passed away. And so, um, but he, he mentioned some of the, the activity that this man had got up to, and he he said that he, he didn't have the power of speech or something to that effect. He wasn't good at communicating with people or sharing with people, but he would go through Hyde Park in London and, and give little tickets and, and find people that he could bring along to the to the service. And he, he would um, come up to Spurgeon every now and then and go, I've caught another one. And like he'd be, But he'd just be constantly bringing people uh, to the hearing of the gospel. And he was one of the most uh, effective people in his ministry who wasn't technically sharing the gospel himself but he was part of a, a larger thing that was going on but it was just a faithful guy doing a seemingly insignificant thing that over years brought dozens and dozens of people to, to saving faith. Yeah I think one of the things that we need to bear in mind is that you know when I was 
when I was a new Christian, I was told that the only reason, in fact, you sometimes hear this, evangelists are really good at saying this, uh, that the only reason the church is still here is to evangelize. And I think when you, when you put it like that and you put it in some of these contexts, it's almost like every single person must proclaim the gospel in exactly the same way. And what you're hearing here is that that's not necessarily the case at all, which should be really freeing. Right? Because we often feel constrained and compelled that we have to be doing this the same way Billy Graham did it, or the same way that, you know... Um, Ray know, Comfort. Ray Comfort does it, yeah. And, and, and the reality is that we're all different. We've all got different gifts. We've all got different uh, opportunities and positions and, and, you know, circumstances. And the Lord just wants us, essentially, to live the gospel out in those circumstances, but not to constrain it from coming from our lips as well. Right? So we should be living out the gospel, increasingly bearing the image of Christ in us as we are sanctified, as we appropriate the gospel for ourselves, as we uh, walk by the, with the Spirit, as we are led by the Spirit. We are to grow more like Christ, and as we grow more like Christ, the gospel should flow out of us, not just in what we do, but even in what we say as well. And it's not a matter of you know, being a Billy Graham or a Ray Comfort. It's a, it's a matter of where am I right now? How can I make Christ sweeter and more glorious in the eyes of the people around me in my actions today. And, and you know what? I just... May I contradict myself? I do that anyway, so... You do have that spiritual gift. I do. I actually do. You'll be surprised how strong that gift sometimes comes up. There are times, I think, when it would be just very, very good for us to ask permission, not that we should... But just ask permission to someone, because we all have those family members who kind of know we're Christian, and, and we know we disapprove of their lifestyle because we're Christian, and, and they know that we want them to become Christians, but yet we never actually sit them down and say, listen, would you actually just give me permission to explain the gospel? Because maybe you just don't know the content of the gospel. It's a useful thing to do, because very, very often they would say, oh, oh yeah, okay, you know, and they will give you five minutes, and you can have that time to actually explain the whole gospel to them, sometimes uninterrupted, but even if they do interrupt. Because many of the people, they know something about God. They, they can see it in your life. They know that there is such a thing as the good news, but they don't actually know what it is. And if you ask permission and they give you permission, then guess what? You've got permission to actually give the whole gospel to them and say, well, you gave me permission, so let me, let me explain. You can go through all these things and hopefully leave a better impression of Christ. I like that. I like that. And Paul asked the church to pray that a door might be opened for him to share the gospel. And in my years, I was saved on the street in evangelism and been involved in it. And um, I have not once had a time where I have not asked the Lord to please open up a door for an evangelistic opportunity, and, and he has not answered that. It just, it just, it's amazing. If we pray, and I like that as well, Phil. I was just going to um, refer to First Peter um, 1 verse 9, or 2 verse 9, is it? Chapter 2 verse 9. But you are a chosen race, right? These wonderful truths about who we are. You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession. Why? that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. And it's really just echoing what Daryl just said before. You know, that's what we are to do as believers. Put God on display. Big God, right? Is that your seminar? That's the title anyway. But uh, yeah, to proclaim God's excellencies in the way we speak, in the way we talk, in the way we live. And then like a couple of verses later, right? Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. What is that? Is that them getting saved because they've kind of looked at your life? I mean, there's an aspect of them looking at our lives, right, and hearing our message and proclaiming big God. Okay, warning. And we've got a time Have warning you, too. Ha, yeah. Oh, that's your problem. <laughs> <laughs> Toby, did you hear that? Yeah, Toby heard that. <laughs> Have you maybe heard this statement? Um, preach the gospel and, if necessary... Use words. What do you think about that statement? That's like saying, as Ray says, that's like saying, feed the homeless and if necessary, use food. Exactly. Yeah. 
So, so there is this, absolutely, not, I'm not, not, not at all, I will dare contradict the great stallion Phil. <laughs> but, but to have... Dr. To, Phil. Dr. Phil. But to have that Christian life is a result of us being in Christ, and, and it does show the gospel. But we shouldn't, shouldn't use it, and that's not what Phil said, but we shouldn't use it as a cop-out not to use words. The gospel is a message that has to be verb, verbally proclaimed. Yeah. So I think if we try and put a bow on this, we've seen that the gospel is uh, the true solution to the true problem, and that is sin inside the human heart. We've seen that for just as Paul said to the church at Rome, I, I desire to come and preach the gospel to you. But they've had, at least in regeneration, that has occurred to them. So the gospel then applies to believers. We've seen how we, we can appropriate uh, Christ in the gospel. We've seen uh, a number of things, how we can navigate uh, in our own spiritual life, and then we've seen how we can take that gospel outside our home and outside our church. And um, one of the things that's truly remarkable, I think, about the Christian life is that um, we are that royal priesthood in the midst of a world that is an unroyal priesthood we we're the only people who've received this true gospel and so um, to whom much is given much is required uh, we do have this great treasure in our earthen vessels and so the motivation is to live in light of the gospel and i think the gospel reminds us that uh, in christ we have every reason to be immensely grateful uh, we we weren't left to ourselves and so this has been good. I hope this, is, this has just been somewhat helpful to you. Um, I would love for Nick, uh, if you could pray for us. And then Mr. MC, you probably tell us a few things after he prays, or you want to tell us, yeah, you pray. All right, let's pray. Our gracious God and Heavenly Father, Lord, we have just spoken about this amazing gospel. And Lord, perhaps we've even been too casual Lord, we have not marveled enough at the fact that you in your grace have made this gospel available. Mm. And Lord, that we are beneficiaries. Lord, that we cannot even comprehend, Lord, the dimensions of your love towards us. Father, we pray that you over this conference would use the messages, use the worship songs, use the fellowship, Lord, as means of grace to our hearts. Lord, to cause us to fall more deeply in love with Christ. Lord, that our mouths would be opened to speak more freely of him. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Um, hey, you've got half an hour now just to maybe stretch your legs, get a drink. I think there is some late lunch, afternoon tea, That's, out yeah. in the uh, conservatory, so you're welcome to go out there. Uh, very soon we're going to be back at 4 o'clock, and this brother is going to bring us the message on glorification. So uh, just uh, relax a little, um, enjoy another drink, and stretch your legs, and we'll see you back here around 4 o'clock. <laughs>